0: Hey y'all, it's Orlando. We just wanna let you know that the views and opinions expressed during this podcast episode are those of the co-hosts and guests and not their sponsoring institutions. Now, let's start the show.
1: Hello Detroit in the world. Welcome to another episode of Authentically Detroit, broadcasting live from the WDET studios. This episode brought, is brought to you by the Ford Foundation and is a content partner to BridgeDetroit.com. Today's episode with our Vulture Youth Voices team members is also sponsored by the Skillman Foundation. I'm Donna Givens-Davidson. I'm Kayla Jemison. I'm Nishayi Johnson.
0: And I'm Isaiah Bell.
1: Welcome to Authentically Detroit. Um, thank you for for listening in and supporting our efforts to build a platform of authentic voices for our real people on the east side of Detroit and our youth. And we want you to like, rate and subscribe to our podcast on our platforms. Today, we are joined not only by Vault Youth Voices, but also by the Honorable Rashida Tlaib, our congresswoman in the 13th District, who is now running to represent the 12th. So um, we'll start off just by asking you, how are you today? How's everybody doing? I'm um, good. You're good. I'm tired. You're tired. I know you're tired because you are a busy woman, right? Very
0: well. I just want to say uh, I'm feeling very good, just enjoying the day, uh-huh. trying to just get past. That's it.
2: All right, all right. How about you, Congresswoman? I'm good. I just love seeing the smiles of all the youth here.
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh,
2: I can believe that uh, uh, he he's happy because yeah. he's, he's smiling <laughs> from ear to ear. I, I but it's good to be here you. with everyone. It is right. It's, Um,
1: It's exciting for me Um, So I want to talk about how your weekend was Um, This is Tuesday My weekend was busy But I had a really fun session on Sunday With um, Kayla and Nishay And um, we just had a great conversation I think Mm -hmm. And I was really impressed with the kind of work That you're doing in the community Especially Nishay You talked about working with young people I know Mm -hmm. that you're working at Foot Locker You're a busy young woman I try (laughs) try. (laughs) (laughs) But um, how was your weekend?
0: Uh I say my my weekend was very decent. Uh I'm not gonna lie, I had a lot of sleep. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I was just chill and just going on about my day. That's it.
3: Oh sleep is important.
0: Of course. How
3: about you, Kayla? Um, it was busy prom shopping. Oh so, prom yeah. is there- I see you, I see you. That? All right. Yeah. You
4: find your shoes?
3: No. no. Oh, look like, you, yes, still working. That's hilarious. Yeah. What about you, Nishay?
4: Uh, I'm so tired from working. I had got up at 10. I, I came in at 10. We didn't leave till 7. Ooh. So I was on my feet all day. And working, I feel like you can't sit down.
0: That girl is a trooper, huh?
4: Can't sit down at all. And
1: did they have a gym shoe release
4: or something this past They had weekend? one on Saturday. So when they had one on Saturday, everybody was coming in on that Sunday asking for the shoe. And with us not having the shoe, it's like, they catch the attitude with us. So it's, it's really backhanded. Mm-hmm.
0: That's weird.
2: How do you handle that? How? Because I, I get yelled at a lot. Um, and sometimes I'm trying to figure out coping skills. I don't know. <laughs> uh, me
4: personally, like growing up the way I did, I, I would just take it. And like, okay, well, you want another shoe? We got we got more <laughs> shoes. I just released mm-hmm. this six. Mm-hmm. We may not have the four. It's like a bunch of resellers came into the store to grab the four that had released.
0: Well, you I'm, talking about those? No fours? That's your yep, job? Yep, them black Ooh. and white ones.
4: And I'm just like. You know, we got another shoe. We have a plet- plethora of sh- kids' shoes, a bunch. So I just give them more options, more than one. They'll just walk out the store.
0: Which one you wear? Because I'm going to need to come up there and get a discount. None. <laughs> 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 We're not going
3: to put out identifying information. Uh, no, no. <laughs> but before
1: we move on and we um, ask questions about your weekend, mm-hmm. can you just remind everybody what schools you
4: attend?
0: Uh, I go to Osmore High School, 11th grade.
4: I go to Southeast. I'm a sophomore.
3: I go to King High School.
0: I'm a senior. Uh Uh-huh. Shopping for prom clothes. Okay.
2: And Rashida, how was your weekend? It was busy. Uh, I actually called it a roller coaster of a weekend. Um, There was just a lot of events. You know, this is probably one of those uh, moments where, you know, post, like, just everybody on lockdown, you know, has been like really, everything's been online. But this past weekend, everybody was kind of meeting in person. And so, uh, you know, although masked up and stuff, we've been you know, having community conversations. There was a parade in Highland Park. It was beautiful by the way. Uh there was a dance off, a drum drum uh you know, they were like competing. It was really great to see the young people out. Yeah. Um yeah, and it was just different kinds of events. Uh we also went and toured uh one of my um church uh communities um who does amazing work with our veterans and does every um Sunday they feed, you know, Tons and tons of people, and so I came to t- check it out, you know, try to provide some support and anything I could do to keep uplifting the work that they're doing. But it was super busy, y'all. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say this on Friday, I had the opportunity to attend the investiture
1: of Don Eisen, who's mm-hmm. the a new attorney general for um, the Eastern District in mm-hmm. Detroit. She and my sister are very close friends. They work together in the U.S. Attorney's Office, and they call themselves the Supremes because they used to sing, even though my sister's voice is as good as mine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and if you're listening, you know I'm talking about you, and you don't have a great singing voice, but um, <laughs> they um, they they were they worked together for many years. So it was great seeing her and having an African woman, the first African-American woman in that role, and listening to her priorities was really, really um just positive for me to in the week that way, and then on Saturday I attended a living memorial for a childhood friend who um, has been given a um, she's a diagnosis or a prognosis of fourteen months, mm-hmm. and so she invited everybody to a celebration. And I wasn't sure how I felt about going, mm-hmm. um, given my mother's recent you know um, death. I wasn't sure how I felt about it, but it was actually a really good opportunity to see people and remember to give people their flowers while they're here and love people who are you yeah. you are with. So. That was pretty good. Um, I do want to say that, um, so I think it's time for hot takes. And today's topic is pretty sobering. It is so sad. Um, 14 students, one teacher killed in Texas, elementary school shooting. And Governor Abbott says the shooter is also dead. Mm. Um, This is from really um, USA Today reported in the Detroit Free Press. Um, But it's, um, you know, one of those things that you see and it's no longer shocking. And that's shocking.
2: Yeah, yeah, the normalization is is so hard.
0: Yeah, um, I felt like it was crazy because, like, I was just going down, like on the social media sites, like Instagram or Facebook or whatever. I was going down and not seeing it, and I'm like, "Dang, that really happened!" Like, sorry for the people who loved ones was there, yeah. and I just want to say prayers to all of them, and hopefully, y'all feel better, yeah. and hopefully, we can get past this tragedy. Yeah.
4: Taking in on the normalization of it and the sovereign part, the reason I would claim it to be so normalized, it happens so often in the community now and and within the youth now. Like, you can't really name, you can put on how many fingers on my hand of how many shooters were over 21. Most shooters, school shooters at that, are all under 18. At least at the age of 18, there's at least 121 school shootings.
0: For sure, right about that. For
4: that, killed that many children. So that's why it's so sobering to us. It's like, oh, look at where it happened. Look at when it happened. Look at who did it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. What are your thoughts on that, Isha?
3: Kayla. Um, like she was saying, they. I don't really know what to say for real, but they is it's young, young kids for real. That's all I really gotta say. And like she said, it's not really shocking no more because it happened a lot.
1: You know, shocking to me is that there's not more done to um, protect children. Like when Sandy Hook happened, I thought surely we're going to do something because little kids are dying, Mm. elementary school kids, but it's no longer – um, it's crazy to me that it's happening and the public policy does not seem to advance at all. People cry about it and gnash their teeth. And this is just coming after a grocery store shooting in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I where, remember that one. Um, was it eight people were killed in the grocery store shooting in Buffalo? All, almost all, I don't know what kind of weapon was used in this incident. I should have looked that up. But usually um, a lot of times it's the AR-15 um, weapon. And yet, you know, people are saying, well, this is the price of freedom. People die but we need to protect our freedom and access to guns. Mm. And it feels like it's there. The people have been brainwashed into believing that this is inevitable, that we can't stop it. We talked on the way here about the idea of putting metal detectors in schools because mm-hmm. 20 years ago, we used to sometimes have school shootings in Detroit, not 14 people, but one person, two people. And you don't really see that happening as much in our community. And I was wondering whether or not, Um, It made sense for some of these suburban schools, which are generally where these kids are being killed right now, um, to install metal detectors. And you had an interesting um, response to that. So can you share it?
4: The reason they wouldn't put metal detectors in white schools. Well, this is my take on it. They're going to start criminalizing white children. And once you start to criminalize a white child, that's other people's like, oh, why are you criminalizing white children? Well, you already already criminalized a young black boy. Trayvon Martin is the prime example. And I can go on and on with names about children that they criminalize at the age of, what, 15? Mm-hmm. And if they were to start putting metal detectors in white schools, it that would lead it to a whole— Prop to me, it would lead to a rage within white parents and within the white community. But to us black people, like, oh, it's It's, it's just normal,
0: like, right. just because be, of the color of our skin.
4: Right, and mm-hmm. it will be useful to them. But for us to have it and to not have that many school shootings within our communities— it's, it's like, it's not who fair. are you really trying to help? Do yeah. you feel criminalized when you walk through metal detectors in your schools? Every day.
0: Of course. Mm. All right. Walking in, the teachers having to pat us down, security. Mm. When it's, I how can I use this? Uh, when it's white people, or however I can say it, walking in the schools freely without having to get pat down, or I just feel like it's a form of discrimination. And I just seem like it's very unfair. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, you know, so you all know, like there's 435 members of the House and you all remember January 6th. Mm -hmm. So right after the the attack on the Capitol, all of a sudden they had to they, they put up all these metal detectors. So all the members, you should have seen it. They were they did not like it. They had to be pat down, screened down, going through metal detectors. I was sitting there behind the line because I'm used to it. At my high school, Southwestern High School, we had metal detectors,
4: mm-hmm.
2: and I actually, you know, like I was looking and watching them. I actually called Denzel, my communications there. I said, I can't believe these folks. Like they got to suck it up. Like I had to do that all throughout high school, and even in middle school. Towards the end of my like eighth grade, they were they were they had like heavy security at the at the front doors. But even now, like you should see how many of them refuse to go through it. They they pout about. They argue with the with the the officers and all this stuff. I say that to y'all because like, even watching them hesitate, even being done. I said the kids kids do this every day to get to school, Mm
4: -hmm. and you can see the the
2: same thing. Disconnect. You can see the disconnect. They don't get it. Um, But it is hard when I hear our young people feeling that way. Um, and it is so difficult because, you know, there are many people that really care deeply and want to do something and so frustrated, but even the 13 people shot in Buffalo, 10 of which died, mm. it was so obvious, you know, as, I mean, videotaped, put it out there. He, you know, folks knew there's some issues there and he still got a gun. Right. And I, I just, you know. Even with everything that we've done in the House I, you know, people in the Senate side, they're just sitting there waiting. I don't know how many people have to die before they understand we've got a gun violence crisis here. That is not just in our communities, obviously, but mm-hmm. really throughout the country. But, it, you know, this is elementary school, y'all. Like, these are little babies. Mm-hmm. Right. I just can't imagine. Man. We, mm.
0: go on. You can go ahead.
1: No, I was just going to say, you know, Alex Jones and his, um, there's so much misinformation being fed to people. That it really does change the political dialogue. I, you know, after Sandy Hook, there was Alex Jones. What's the name of his group? Um,
3: well, I, I can't know. think
1: of it. Um, where he was saying um, that these that that it was all false information, and he was successfully sued for putting out the false information and trying to make light of these parents and saying they didn't have children, and so people were actually defending the fact that their children died. And when you have that kind of misinformation that is intentionally put on people, it makes it very difficult for, um, for, for politics to change. Because, you know, in Detroit, our representatives, I think, would almost unanimously support some level of gun control. But in some communities where people are listening to phone news, they're not going to do it. And then the other issue I have is this whole treatment of these shooters when they're white as if it's always a mental health disorder. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying they don't have mental health disorders, but when it's a black criminal with the exact same background, they're never talking about mental health. If that guy who shot up those people in um, Buffalo had been treated like the criminal he was when he was drawing up lists and threatening people's lives, it's possible he would not have a gun. Right. But they minimize it. So I didn't want to take away from what you were going to say, Isaiah. I'm sorry.
0: It's cool. It's very cool. I was saying like, uh, what was I finna to say? Oh, uh, like basically how the Crumbly, uh, the Oxford situation, how they, he ended up shooting all the people and basically he ended up going to court. They're trying to say like for a mental illness, like something's wrong with him. I don't feel like, I feel like it's just wrong because basically... When they, when the parents was texting them like, you shouldn't have got caught. Like it don't make sense. That's why they arrested now. But mm-hmm. still, I just feel like it's unnecessary. All the school shootings. I just feel like students at the age of seventeen to eighteen aren't shouldn't have guns right. because it's like, what's the point? Right. I get that. Like I feel like a weapon should be used to protect you and the ones you care for, not just to go start off problems. With random people or go go in rob a store, or anything like that. I just feel like it's unnecessary, and we need to get better and start focusing on the community more. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I
1: think that one of the things that you pointed out, Nache, is the youthfulness of so many of these mass shooters, mm-hmm. and. Um, Brain science, now we now know that people's brains are not fully formed until they're 26. Yep. So, you know, I'm sorry, you might have like 10 more years before your mm-hmm. brain is ready, right? I mean, to fully formed. And mm-hmm. most murders are, are you know, done by people who are under the age of 26. We know that that's a very dangerous age group. And so
3: mm-hmm.
1: when is our public policy going to catch up with brain science? Right. And also with the data that shows that um, people are very fragile at this point and maybe don't have um good impulse control and yeah. don't have good ways of managing their anger. Uh right. what are your thoughts? My
4: well really I this not really almost connected to that but it is. My question is more solely what's so mental about murder? How is mm. that how does murder like how does my mentality con- well yeah, my mentality can connect to about why I would want to kill somebody but what's mm. so what does it does to you, what does what happens to your mental that makes you want to kill somebody? Um
1: Rashida, do you have any, do you guys look at
4: any research or anything that sort of explains why this
1: is happening as you are going through? I mean, through the-
2: sometimes it's really hard for, because for me, you can't really police away or criminalize away some of these, some of some of this behavior that you see. But I mean, I, I was just like looking up because I was first thing you want to know is why. Right. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we never at the end ever understand why, but we do understand what you all explained, which is. You know, in in our communities, they seem to to over police, not put the 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 kind of wrap around services that we need. All this stuff, they rather put more security and policing and all this uh you know security systems in there.
0: The unnecessary. The, things, yeah, basically. exactly,
2: because it it is not going to help with I think fully as you we all talked about uh, you know the coping skills dealing with whatever issues and the trauma of just sometimes in our lives, we go through so much trauma, but you know, like now they're saying there's twenty twenty seven 27 school shootings so far this year. Oh. And the fact that people are targeting our schools, the fact that people are, you know, getting access to these guns so easily. I, I just, we don't see that in other developed countries where they have a lot more, you know um, pushback and uh, in, in how you can get a gun and things like that. Now, yes, Second Amendment, it's in our constitution. You, you're allowed mm-hmm. to have a gun. But what's wrong? Just just like for anybody to, to be able to, uh, you know, some other things that you have to go through licensing, you have to do a background check and things like that. There's nothing wrong in, in that regard. Um, because what I am always fearful of is that we talk about the school shootings because it's so tragic. But please know that there's shootings happening all over our communities and neighborhoods, people that... Have uh, you know issues and all of a sudden are going to to the gun to shoot their domestic partner right or are you know leaning on that kind of violent approach to to just you know whatever address whatever the the challenges and issues but what 's hard is seeing the application and the outrage when it happens in white communities, mm-hmm. but when we see it happening in our neighborhoods and our communities there 's not the same outrage but i I keep telling my colleagues um, we know what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Guns in our country this for-profit industry in our country pushing the guns. You can order that stuff online. I mean, everything. It needs. We need to address it because it's obvious to me that uh, we we can't. Everyone can't have access to guns this way, uh, especially. I mean, if you look at the guy in Buffalo, he had mental health issues already. Was reporting? Yes, that's true. But he still got. He still somehow got a gun, right? But
1: but you know, so many of the young people who are killing people have mental health issues that well, are untreated. I know that, Donna. You know, I know you do. I'm saying that we but, have, um, and you know that that um, the CDC is not allowed to treat gun violence as a public health disorder, but we know it is, right? And so the failure to look at the mental health, you know, precedents and say, well, it's just about criminalization because when black kids kill black kids, they're just thugs. Right. Right. But when white kids kill white kids. They have mental health mental disorders. Patients. And so we have two different ways of dealing with it, none of which is effective mm-hmm. and none of which is protecting us. We need a real study and to understand the question that you raise. Why do people do that? Because I don't think I understand. No, I honestly, every
2: single shooter has ever been, of course, you got white supremacy, you got folks that are driven to violence, drawn to it. Uh, I mean, some like post about it, like the Oxford shooting, like, you Uh know, gave us the hint that he's going to do it, all these things. At the end, you still say why and nobody seems to be able to answer that question. Yeah.
1: Okay. You know, and, you know, when I look at um, shootings in the hood, right, mm-hmm. a lot of times there's no manifesto. But if you look at the social media, it's the same kind of thing. You can see the buildup. You can see mm-hmm. the anger. Yeah. You can see the violence, you know, between people. And you know somebody's about to explode. Most of the time, they've yeah. given clues, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you know anybody who's been killed?
0: Yeah. Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. Through gun violence? Yeah. Multiple. Yep. Multiple? Can you talk about uh, a little bit about your experience with that?
0: Uh. Kayla, trying to pick up on this one.
3: Yes. Um, What you mean? Like this? What what was like? How it led up? Yes. What? What? Yes. All of it. Yeah. So a person that I knew, that was close to me, died in the dice game. Another one died. Um, It was a setup by one of his his mom's boyfriends or something like that. Mm -hmm. Set him up and. So, yeah. Yeah, that's it for me. Yeah. How, old, it was how more. old
2: was he or she?
3: Uh, he was, I'm not really sure. He was early 20s, though, for sure.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And then uh, one in the Dice games, early 20s, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. It's always tragic. What about um, you,
4: show? One that i seen, I really didn't know him personally. I just knew the people in that area. And, like, that was, like, the 7 Mile area I had grew up in. You know how I talk so heavily about it. And um, it was, like, recently on the news, I think around probably December, January, February, about the little boy that got killed on that 7 mile out of drive gas station. Mm -hmm. And the way that the boy got killed, that boy was as young as 14. And it had hurting me the most because the killer and the person that that was killed, I know his brother type. Mm -hmm. I know his cousin. I know his mom. I know his dad. And that's what really was hurting me the most because I know who they are. And with me knowing who they are, it's just it that, it's just really hurting me. It hurting me so much knowing that it's something that well could lead up to that, knowing that I grew up with them. And, oh, another way, um, this boy I was with in middle school, he had just recently died. I want to say to gun violence, but to um, a gun that was found in his home that he was playing with. And he had shot and killed himself. And just knowing that he had shot and killed himself because of the boast that they have on guns within the black community is just it really just happened. What
1: do you mean the boast that they have in the black
4: community? The, the, what I mean by boast is like black people we look to guns as a sense of protection, and I wouldn't the reason we look to guns as a sense of protection because the protection that we're supposed to have we don't feel as if they to protect us. Meaning the police, and you are we all know how black people look towards the police. So we sense, we go out and reach for other things to protect us. And we don't use each other no more from, what, 60s, 70s, 80s. As soon as the 90s hit, most of that changed. Gang violence happened. The more criminalization of black people.
1: Yeah. I have to say, though, in the 1980s, my um, high school boyfriend was killed. Mm. His um, god sister who lived down the street was shot and killed sat 17 times, put in the trunk of her car. She was killed. His sister was killed. And lit on fire, and they lived on one block of Birdwood, um near Six Mile. Mm-hmm. And so um, murder is not new to Detroit, and loss is not new. That was um, a really pivotal time in my life because I kept wondering, you know, what could I have done? You know, I'm in college, and he's dead. And they found him in the woods in Kentucky. He was in the Army, and he was on his way back. I had just seen him after years. He was mad at me because I broke up with him, and we, got to, we reconciled, and we were mm-hmm. friends again. And he never made it back to base. And um, it was never solved. So when I look at the amount of murder and the amount of violence in our community, it's been it's a lot of times it's intergenerational where you have so much pain and so much trauma that has not been addressed. And then you have easy access to guns and it explodes into violence. That's what's happening, I think, in our community, in the black community. And it's not being dealt with or talked about. It's just happening over and over again. And um, if you looked at it as a public health disorder, maybe you do something about it. The latest mass shootings are relatively new, I think, aren't
2: they? No, they've been going on. I mean, I remember in middle school, Donna, hearing about mass shootings. I can't remember what which one it was. It was a campus one, I think. Yeah. But, you know, it happened on college campuses. Um, yeah. You know, for me growing up, uh, we would have an annual event at Clark Park. So, you know, always some you know ma- you know massive violent shootings but with the school shootings and everything I mean again I don't I don't know but all I know is it, it seems to me there's not, again we're over 20 of them now yeah uh, and we're only what in uh May yeah and the fact that they're targeting little babies yeah these are folks that they have no relation I mean they're just targeting the, the fact that somebody can, go grocery store shoot up people church synagogue Mm -hmm. uh elementary school the fact that folks feel that compelled to 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 walk in and just completely do a mass murder of folks uh if that's not a wake-up call we got to do something about access to guns in our country i I don't know what is yeah so that kind of
1: leads us into our next section we're now going to talk to you and have some questions for you about your role um, that wraps up Hop Takes. And if you have pieces that you want discuss on Authentically Detroit, you can hit us up on our socials at Authentically Detroit on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email us at AuthenticallyDetroit at gmail.com. Congresswoman Toled. Um, before I start asking you questions, it occurs to me a lot of people don't know what a congressperson does. <laughs> so, can you talk about your role and um, how you serve this community?
2: Yeah, I know uh, many of the young people here, uh, probably like uh, fifth grade or at least by fifth or sixth grade, they'll learn three branches of government and all that. It's the legislative branch, right? And yes, we make laws, but I think it's more than that. Um, For us, it's also oversight on uh, what our government is doing. So today I did a big forum on on, um, ICE detention and the fact that they're using so-called electric uh, tethering or technology, which is also extremely still very painful and traumatic for many of our immigrant neighbors. So a lot of oversight, uh, holding, you know, certain folks accountable. Like, for instance, we were able to question uh, Marathon Oil refinery as a member of the House Oversight Committee. Um, And yes, we even can give the president a timeout by impeaching him uh, and pulling it twice, uh, the forever impeached president before uh, President Biden was elected. Uh, we, you know, a lot of the part two is is prioritizing because a lot of the values of our country depends on our budget. Um, you know, and, and we obviously pass a huge budget that prioritizes various things. And a lot of things we're talking about here, uh, many of these young people probably would not agree for us to spend as much as we spend on, on war and bombs, which is a record, I think, historic record of funding is around over $750 billion this, this cycle. I did not vote for that. Um, Thank you. Uh, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we, we haven't really been um, prioritizing, it. but as a member of Congress, I always like to tell, I go to speak to third graders. You know, I remind young people, when I was growing up, we used to go to a restaurant, right, Donna, and they always say, how many people in your, in your group? And then the next question is, do you want non-smoking or smoking section? Because they used to be able to smoke in restaurants, hospitals, schools, airplanes. I'm not joking. They used to be able to smoke up, up in the... And so scientists, for years, just like on climate, they've been telling us, hey, you know, secondhand smoking is really can cause cancer, asthma, respiratory issues. And so one of the first bills I ever worked on as a state representative in the Michigan legislature was a smoking ban, basically banning smoking in public. Um, And so... All of a sudden, you know, people are like, "Oh my God, this is going to ruin our economy. This is awful." And we kept pushing and saying, "No, but we're, you know, children's lungs. People are getting sick, and it was true. Scientists and doctors and folks are coming back, and healthcare professionals say, "We gotta, we gotta stop allowing uh, smoking in public because even though you might not have been smoking that cigarette or whatever, uh, you're, you know, you were getting sick." So. I, when I tell the third graders this, they're like, oh, because then I tell them, like, we do the hearings, we talk to folks, and we did have one even on gun violence, and then we act on it. Um, and in many cases, we do some really phenomenally great things of, of pushing back um, on broken systems and, you know, structural racism and, you know, making sure we're prioritizing people over profits. Um, and sometimes we're halfway successful. The problem is, as a member of the House, I have to make sure it gets through the Senate and then onto the president's desk. And, and it always seems to be difficult these days.
1: Yeah. Seems like one of the things you also do, um, and I'm speaking of you and other members of the squad, is you raise awareness in the community and you we let elevate people, people know. Yeah, right. yeah. You help people know what could be, right? Because I remember there was not that long ago when people talked about a $15 an hour minimum wage, free college, affordable health care, or I mean, Medicare for all. It sounded crazy to so many people, not me. But a lot of people were saying, well, that sounds like Santa Claus legislated, you know, whatever. And it was it was so marginalized. And mm-hmm. now it feels like it's become mainstream because people like you have been fighting for it.
2: Is that true? I mean, it's it, so many of us come from movement work. I mean, as a community organizers, if you look at any of my other sisters in service, I mean, you got Cori Bush, who's marching in Ferguson when the Ferguson. I mean, what happened in Ferguson and, and marching in the streets, being with the family and she was a nurse. And now you you see her. She's like all about supporting movement for black lives. She introduced a legislation already pushing back and saying, how do we reimagine what it feels like to be safe where we are not, you know, you know, funding police and not put, but but ignoring the fact that we, we have a unfunded, uh, you know, system for healthcare and so forth. I mean, in Detroit, literally we spend eight to 9 million on public health and 300 million plus plus (laughs) on policing. And we wonder why more black folks died of COVID than any other community. I mean, it's over 40%, even though uh, my black neighbors make up less than 15% of the total population in Michigan. So a lot of this preexisting conditions, a lot of these systems are broken and set up. So much of, you know, I always tell people, yeah, some of us were first, I was the first Muslim woman ever elected. Some were for the first like black woman elected to in that state or, or so forth. We didn't run to be first at anything. One thing is, I'm all for diversity because I hear a lot of my colleagues say, oh, diversity is our strength. Of course it is. But we really ran because we felt like Congress didn't see us and didn't hear us. Um, And we're trying to change how Congress talks about these issues so that people can feel that connection. Because like Ayanna Presley from from, uh, Boston, uh, one of my colleagues that came in with me, you know, she always says we need people that are close to the pain, close to the ground to be making those policy decisions and unfortunately, you know, many of my colleagues are millionaires. They're in an income bracket that's completely disconnected. So when we came in, are course, you a millionaire? People, people no, ma'am. <laughs> no, you want to come and see my car right now because my my staff is like, you got to get a new car. Um, <laughs> but uh-uh, I'm not getting a new car. I don't wait. I'm one of those people. I wait until it just it will not move again. But it's it's important to know. You know, we Congress used to be made up of working class, real people, and. And the the billionaires and the millionaires and those that are wealthy have taken it over. You can see it. You can see on their hesitation on getting universal health care, on doing something about climate, doing something about violence in our country. You can hear it. You know, one of the
1: things I've been pressing on is also age. Mm -hmm. Um, The people who have the most power in D.C. are at least 70 years old. And that influences things, doesn't it?
2: Yeah. You know, there's this whole thing called seniority, y'all. Like you're a senior now. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's wonderful. But you, you can see you just just kind of figured out life. right? <laughs> you know? yeah. and, and in Congress, it takes a while before you actually can hold the gavel right. and, and sometimes take 20 something years before you actually have a head of a committee and stuff. So many of these folks that have been there a long time, they're now in charge of very powerful committees. And, again, you know, some of them I'll do respect. Like, I'll tell you, Chairwoman Maxine Waters, to me, is an exception. I mean, this is a person that since she's been there talking about infrastructure, because when they talk about infrastructure, they're talking about roads and bridges. Mm-hmm. Right. She's like, uh-uh, I want to talk about housing. Housing is infrastructure. And, you know, I'm sitting there snapping my fingers like, why is she sick? Because they don't even know what that means. I am like snapping my fingers. I was like, she's absolutely right. So there are members that are still connected, understanding, because one of her biggest passions and why she even ran for office was around ending homelessness. I was in a committee hearing, Donna, and she had one of those massive military ships. It cost $13 billion to this, for this massive military ship. Mm-hmm. It was in the ocean. And while we were testifying about ending homelessness, she said her bill is called End Homelessness Act. And in the background, <laughs> Republicans were so mad. She had a video. It was huge in the committee. Just the ship moving around in the, in the sea. I'm serious. No. And she's like, if we can get rid of one of them, just get rid of one of them, we can pay for this bill. And they were so fed They were like, "You need to take that down. We don't like it." Because she just kept having it, and it was one of those like videos that kept running over and over again. But the point is, I completely agree with you. But I think it's about lived experiences. What I mean by that is, whatever your age, if you don't have that lived experience and the pain of understanding when your residents come to you about the struggle or understanding some of the challenges, you're not going to be effective. So that's why I think it's important.
1: You know, I'm not. I'm. 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 I'm by far the oldest person in this room, right? And so when you talk about metal detectors in schools, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm like, what? I don't live that life. So I've had lived experiences, but lived experiences change over time. When I went to college at the University of Michigan, it was like, what, $2,000 a semester, maybe. Okay, maybe you're spending about $2,000 on housing. And so the cost of college was so much lower. My lived experiences are not relevant to people today. And so I'm not saying nobody my age, certainly. I think I'm cool. I think I'm one of these people who stays (laughs) in contact with young people. But I think when you have uh, the the geratocracy where it's only old people who make decisions, then their lived experiences have not been freshened up. And we need um, diversity is age, right? Diversity Mm -hmm. is younger people being able to represent this generation. This generation, there are very few young people who don't care about climate change. And there are very few people in Congress who are seeing it as just urgent mm-hmm. uh, um, who are, you know, I, I, I feel like everybody's like very incremental like, well, let's do this and by 2050 we'll just mm-hmm. like, we don't have until 2050 no, they, to do
2: some things. They've been doing that since the 80s increments and yeah. they don't realize those increments met, can't let, ended up m- m- impact almost nothing. So they said, let's just do a little bit of this. Like right now they're all forgiving black communities, broadband internet, but not voting rights. Mm-hmm. Like what, you know?
4: Yeah.
1: So, I mean, I know you all have questions. Please ask some questions. Fire away.
4: My biggest question is how do you feel about the youth nowadays? Like, what do you feel about the Generation Z?
2: I mean, I have a 16 year old at home. <laughs> and no, literally, he's my policy person. I mean, he is somebody that is, I mean, constantly reminding me that it's not working, mom. Like, oh, how was it? Did you guys even get anything done? But he also is reminding me that this is the same party politics. He's like, when are folks going to wake up? He's talking about third party. I mean, you name it, he's talking to me about it. And even now, he's like, look, mom, nobody's even talking about what President Biden said about Taiwan. You know, like he's he's like, you know, are we going to get drafted? I mean, he's really nervous all the time about many of the adults right now making decisions that are going to impact his life in two years. He's going to go on to college. Is college going to be even accessible, affordable? Uh, Is there even going to be earth? He says to me, you know, what's the point? Uh, And so I don't know. I, I know you guys hear this a lot, but you guys give me like tingles. Like I get so excited when I, even when I was at Southeastern, you can hear in the questions of young people that they're thinking about running. I could have never imagined at that age, thinking about running for office, and they're like, yeah, we're about to take this over. Mm-hmm. Like, move aside. Uh, there was the first African-American woman ever elected, Shirley Chisholm, to to Congress. And she used to say, you know, if, if there's not a seat at the table, bring your own chair. Your generation's like, nah, we're going to shake the table. We're going to take your chair because your time is up because <laughs> the table doesn't need to get bigger. You, you know, you have a minute. It's our turn. Move yeah. over. And so I'm excited.
4: Yeah. Once, OK, once like our generation does and if it was to happen to take over, how you think what the world or actually the United States government would
2: look? I mean, if we can get the Congress to reflect really the, the pain on the ground and most Americans live check by check. Mm-hmm. They're struggling every single day uh, is if we can get folks in there that understand that struggle, they'll move quicker they won't sell out to the big corporations they won't hesitate they won't feed into this thing of oh you know i got people literally saying we don't we don't need childcare in our country so people can go on vacation like that's how they think of us you they don't think my, need yes healthcare. here a, there's one that thinks you're you going to go if you I do need if it. one of them who's who's like literally known to say this is like we're not we don't want paid leave Because, you know, if somebody, yeah, they don't want paid leave. What? I'm not going to pay somebody, uh, somebody, like he's paying out of his, he's worth $26 million plus, a Democrat in the Senate. He he blocks everything that we're even trying to do. And he said, what, so people can go hunting? First of all, who who is he talking about? We're talking about people that are having children that need to stay home with their babies or they're sick or any of that paid leave where other countries already been past us. They developed countries like ours. We're the wealthiest in the country, in the world, I mean. We're the wealthiest. And we got people saying things like that.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, so I know when you all come in, you're not going to feed into that because you know it. You're closer to it. You felt it. You sensed it. I mean, your generation's been through a pandemic, a recession. You all have been through some historic stuff yeah. that I can't even imagine being at your age. I. Sometimes I worry about my 16-year-old. I mean, he he one time he made me cry because he was so jaded. He's like, what's going to be left for me?
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then being in the Detroit and the youth of Detroit, we've been through two recessions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, no, yeah. I know. Absolutely.
1: Well, those are really good questions. I, I want to just also say I love young people today. <laughs> I love the—I think about, you know, some of the things that you—you watch old TV shows, Right. Yeah. And it's like, this would never pass today. Okay. I'm like watching old TV shows I used to laugh at. And there are all of these improper things. And people talk about, um, what do they talk about? Cancel. This is the cancel generation. We need to cancel some things. Okay, Everything does not need to be um, continued. And I love the um, ferocity and the, you know, and, and, the, and, and also the commitment to change. So um, I, I think that there's a whole bunch of us who see great things in young people today. I think the question is whether or not the young people who we see, whether we will empower them to take that or we'll, we just have to, you have to wait for us to die off, mm. you know. And I hope we do a better job of passing the torch. Kayla, um, Isaiah, do you have any questions?
0: Uh, I was gonna say, how do y'all feel about? Can the... you
1: s- can you speak into the mic?
0: Yes, ma'am. Uh, I was gonna say, how do y'all feel about the Contangi can Brown or something like that? Was her name Yeah, Contangi. Yeah, Brown. Yeah, Brown. Ketanji. Ketanji. Yeah, Brown uh, how do y'all feel about her? Uh, I mean,
2: it's exciting. We just we we gotta expand the court. Let me tell yeah, you, Yeah, having really nine do. people there and six of them which are making a decision. That is completely the opposite of what the popular, like, you all can talk about whatever position you have around access to health care for women or on immigrant rights mm-hmm. or on, you know, marriage equality, whatever you want to talk about. Next thing is going to be education, like private vouchers and all that. The fact that they have that much power to make mm-hmm. a decision that is completely the opposite of the will of the American people, there's something undemocratic about that. Yeah. And so I've I'm a co-sponsor of a bill that would expand the court. So we have more people making those decisions and not mm-hmm. just the handful that, you know, previous presidents two you know, one of which was, you know, impeached twice, corrupted mm-hmm. right. uh, morally. And I mean, really just used the Oval Office to make money off of our people, uh, get, got to make, a you know, a permit. And this is a, like a, a judge that can stay there forever, there's no term mm-hmm. limits mm-hmm. literally there's no term limits baby so so they're there forever and so i'm just happy we got katanji brown jackson primarily because i was worried that they might have choose somebody that wasn't as as i connected or somebody
0: because, who somebody who haven't been to something basically well she like also that.
2: comes from doing being a defense attorney mm-hmm. uh, doing defense work and that's important we mm-hmm. we ha- we never had that Never, never in, on on the Supreme Court. From what I understand, she's the first to have that experience. I mean, think about it. Having defense and access to like a defense attorney is so critical. We're, yeah. Some All of us are going to have some sort of connection or contact in the criminal mm-hmm. justice system. So she's been on that end. Well, and they yeah. actually attacked her for it. Right? You know, when I was oh, um, I'll at I'll the, the, the
1: investiture for um, mm-hmm. for Dawn Ison. She spent 10 years as a defense attorney in yes. private practice before she became a prosecutor. And if you listen to her plan for how she's going to reform, she talks about, you know, holding police accountable. Her husband's she's been police, on that end. She's on that end. And yeah. this is what she said that really moved me. She says, you know what? My husband is a police officer and I want him to come home every day. And my son is a black man and I want him to come home every day. Mm-hmm. And so for her to be able to see her husband and son. Mm-hmm. both in the same light means that she wants policing to be improved, to make her husband safer and to uphold the dignity of her husband's job, but also for her son. So mm-hmm. I was just really moved by that. I think it is life experience going to your question is super important. And I'm kind of, I really do hope that they expand the Supreme court, but I'll tell you, when I thought about it, I was like, even though I'm not hopeful that um, in the very near future, we're going to get the decisions going our way, unless there's a major change, you know, But one of the things that I thought about was the power of a dissenting opinion, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that we have somebody who, when the Supreme Court rules, you have the majority, somebody writes majority opinion, and sometimes somebody writes an opinion that agrees with that with different reasoning, and they have to explain why they think what they think. And then sometimes people write these dissenting opinions that get picked up later in future courts. And so... In the near term, her impact may not be as great as it is in the long term, because I think if she can document some of these thoughts in the court record, then hopefully they can begin to shift over time. But ideally, we can expand the court.
2: Yeah, right now, the court, you know, there's been uh, conversations about and you'll see uh, legislation about conflict of interest because, you know, they're supposed to be impartial, all this. But some of them are connected to, connected with some of the party politics and some of the other things. So there's also been conversations about uh, some, you know, Clarence Thomas, for instance, Justice Clarence Thomas, um, and some of the decisions he made around uh, January 6th, insurrectionists and others, the connection that, uh, you know, his wife has to mm-hmm. some of some of the very much leaders of the Republican Party that really were part of the folks that led the charge for it. So it's it's really important to also understand there needs to be some sort of accountability, and that, again, we we got her in because I'll tell you during President Obama's term, they blocked every attempt, I mean, really, for us to get a justice when 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 he was president, and, and it was really sad because that would have been a, a good opportunity to at least get somebody else that might have been again much more impartial and understanding and connected to majority of the American people.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Now I I do want to um say a couple things you didn't say about yourself. Yeah. For example, your constituent services yeah. is um, pretty groundbreaking in our community. Um, can you talk a little bit about your constituent services and how you help
2: out um, individual citizens in our community? Yeah. So I don't know if the young people know, I'm the eldest of 14. I have seven younger brothers, six younger sisters. So That's I was not. like, yeah, it is. <laughs> well, You've got a so, big family. Man. Yeah, so <laughs> growing up in Southwest Detroit, I, you know, I was like the third parent, but I, I mean, even in college, like I remember I had like four of my siblings in diapers. I mean, I just, I, and I was trying to take care of them. I was my parents' childcare provider for so long. And I think growing up, I don't know, watching my parents struggle and not understanding the systems and the processes, um, it drove me to understand the importance of creating like what I now have four neighborhood service centers. So I'll tell you, when I was working at nonprofit organizations or being just an advocate or organizer, I used to call DTE or uh, like even some of these other federal agencies or state agencies for on behalf of the residents. You know, somebody like needs rental assistance and nobody called her back or somebody said, hey, Rashida, I didn't get my, you know, return, my tax return. Or, hey, I don't know where to get services. So the neighborhood service center is built so that we can use the power of the letterhead, the power of the office. So I can't believe it sometimes when I call, they call me back. And when they call me back, that means my residents get seen and heard. Does that make sense? Like Mm -hmm. um, we were able to get uh, one man, he called our office and he had, he was a veteran disabled and he had like $120,000 like student loan because the private uh, uh, universities, if you haven't noticed, you'll notice it in your feed. They'll come and try to target you. These for-profit universities. Oh, come on, do it online, all this stuff. Many of those have committed fraud and crimes. And later on, Folks don't even get a degree, but they still owe that money, like stuff like that. And so
0: Which anyways, is unfair. He,
2: it's so unfair. And so in the previous administration, I mean, they wouldn't even there was a whole process that you had to go through to get it to get it um, wiped out. So you could prove that this is, you know, it was a fraudulent university, all these things. Point is, he, you know, he owed one hundred twenty thousand dollars. He called our office. And if it wasn't for the Neighborhood Service Center, we would never been able to call the U.S. Department of Education, and find out, oh, yeah, sure enough, there's a program for him because he's disabled. And so we, I felt like I won the lottery. We wiped that all out for him. He was so, it changed his life completely, y'all. So a lot of our bill ideas come through the neighborhood service centers. You know, A lot of folks don't realize anytime you have any medical debt gets on your credit report, impacts whether or not you can rent, get a job, Mm -hmm. all this stuff. And so that also has translated into really great legislative ideas. But um, we got over $4.5 million for, and this is direct money into a residence. Like today, somebody put in, we, this woman's been waiting, I don't know how long for her tax return. And we got her like Mm $3,000. And again, folks might say, oh, that's not, mm -mm, it's life changing for my residence. Life changing. Mm -hmm. So I think that that also keeps you connected to the issues though.
1: Because you have people who are out there really working, helping people work through their problems. The other Amazing thing you did, um, which I'm going to talk about, is um, there was an opportunity for you to fund certain projects or get federal funding for certain projects in Detroit. And it seems like you, more than any other Congressperson I know, brought projects home to our community to organizations that could provide direct support. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yes. So one of the things that um, as a member of Congress, they, they allowed what they call direct community projects. And so we went and listened to the community, and one of the things—I mean, this is how I met Donna really initially—is we had big, you know, um, uh, St- Stellantis, which you call Chrysler on the east side, and there was all these issues, the smells, all this pollution, all this stuff was happening. People were organizing. Um, obviously, the city rolled out the red carpet. Didn't do the accountability measures. I think was super important here. Um, decided to say, "Hey, we'll give the, each house like ten or fifteen thousand to do home repairs," which doesn't actually fix the fact that is going to be. You're not going to be able to c- breathe clean air. Mm-hmm. And they did that in exchange. It was so unjust. It did it in exchange, saying, "Well, we're going to reduce uh, the pollution out in the city of Warren, so we can increase." They're all actually allowed to do mm-hmm. this to increase mm-hmm. it in the east side of Detroit, a predominantly black neighborhood, and so. As we were talking about this and looking around and the in the pandemic, if anything exposed the need for some sort of wellness place, but I it's it's so more than that. It's also self care. It's all those things and coming to a space that people felt safe, but also talking about how did they protect their health, how did they be able to even cope with some of the uh, issues they're going to have to deal with because of pre existing conditions, because of corporate pollution, and so I'm really happy uh, we were able to do that because. Where it's situated is, is the spot to, and it's unfortunate because the center is literally, its back is facing Stellantis. The, 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 you know, the smell out there, it comes out. I just went out there one time and I swear it made me so sick.
3: But oh, I can't imagine. Southeastern?
2: No, she's uh-huh. talking about ECM. ECM, oh. yeah. You know where the vault is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so even during, you should know this too, even during the, East, during the times we were fighting Stellantis, we kept asking for air filtration for Southeastern. We said, look, this. Still don't oh, in. I know. And so one of the things we said is, we, you know, the, the, the young people are going to be out there. They're going to smell all of this. It's going to come through the windows. And a lot of our older schools, like Southeast, you know, some of them don't have the HVAC and all that stuff. And it's not as, you know. And so I just know that they would have done it if it was City of Warren. The only
4: places I know with my school that they had um, their air purifiers in were, like,
2: the offices. That's mm-hmm. it. They don't have none in the classroom at all. Well, for me, while you're sitting there trying to learn, you are impacted when you can't breathe clean air. I promise you. It will impact how you learn. And sometimes that exposure in the air, you don't see it so small.
0: It make you not want to do anything. Well, it is. It is. you get
2: headaches. You get headaches. You'll see. Sometimes I hear uh, parents tell me nosebleeds when their kid never got Mm -hmm. a nosebleed before. All of a sudden they're getting those because of the, the irritation from the pollution in the air. It's so unjust and it, it, it actually makes me so, it's most of the thing that makes me the most angry because they make so much money
3: yes.
2: operating in our backyard, but they can't spend, you know, they rather spend money on the lawyers to fight the fines and take us to court and get lobbyists to tell us that, you know, to get, they literally have certain community people say, oh, we love this. This is great. And we got a mayor that says, oh, well, this, will, this is going to increase property values out here. What? While people are literally getting sick. Another so, thing that crisis tried to do, like, over by
4: Southeastern, when you drive down Fairview, they planted, like, trees right there that mm-hmm. take 15 years to grow. Oh, this will suck up the air pollution.
2: Yeah, they call that, uh, I can't remember what the yeah, techni- Vegetative. Oh, I vege- don't know. Vegetative but buffer. They, are, they, they, they actually <laughs> count that as a community benefit. They, yes. I'll- like, of course, I want it to look pretty and stuff, but let me tell you about development. Always notice this. I want the young people to notice this. It's almost like an imaginary body of water around their plant because everything outside is poverty, blight, all this. I mean, they 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 create this like literally like an island within a very challenged neighborhood. That is not how you should development in our communities. And that's why many of us are trying to reform, you know, uh Denzel McCampbell on my on my on my staff, you know, he's here listening to y'all, but he used to be a city commissioner and he tried to change the city charter, the constitution for the city I always called it. Uh, to make it stronger so that we actually had legal avenue that we could take them to court, that we had to have a legally binding agreement that forced them. Because right now, all the promises they made to the community, it's falling apart. Mm-hmm. They installed the technology. I can go on and on down. They installed all the technology on incorrectly. The, literally, the, the, the state environmental agency said, what did you, you guys installed it incorrectly? So they're outputting more than what they said they were going to do in their permit now. Yeah. And they won't fix it. Yeah, it's it's a mess,
1: and so we really, really, really appreciate having a congresswoman fight for us. And I think I was not even aware of how bad things were when we had our annual meeting just about three years ago, mm-hmm. or I don't know if it's three or four years because I get the years mixed up with COVID. But I think it was three years ago you came out to our site, and at the annual meeting you really talked about what good is a job if you if you don't have your health. Yeah, I mean, jobs and, can't fix cancer. Yeah, they can't, and but um and, and then so you know. In looking at the history of Detroit, whenever they want to poison us, they always say, oh, but jobs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's so unfair that we have to choose between jobs and our health um, when there's ways that they could make us healthy. Um, I really, really want to thank you. I know that Denzel is looking at me like, wait a minute, this is going on <laughs> a little long, and I appreciate you coming here. I know our young people appreciate having the opportunity to meet really with you. I really enjoyed this. and Yeah, me too. Yes. And, and, and you were just at Southeastern High mm. School. Um, we are going to miss you in the 13th district. I'm not district. going anywhere.
2: I know. My team has gotten directive that I am not going anywhere, so Southeastern needs me. I'm coming. Yeah. Uh, You know, I'll have to check in with the current member, whoever gets elected, but uh, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to. Environmental justice and fighting back against environmental racism is a passion of mine, no matter no matter which district I, I, I represent.
1: Yes. But thank you for the work that you've done representing our district. Um, I know that you're running for the 12th and we will possibly have a candidate series in the 12th. But today we're just really appreciative of you talking to our young people and sharing them the work that you do, because um, I expect one of you to be in her shoes one day. I expect one of you you to be at (laughs) the city council table one day. Change will only happen if you are in those seats. And I really see myself and my role is trying to help young people get there, right? Um, people say, "I don't want to run for office. I want to help a generation of young people who I think can make change run for office." That's always been my goal. I was a political science major in college, and I never wanted the throne. I always wanted to be the
2: power behind the it's throne, not, helping not people move. a great move. throne. From. Well,
1: you know, I'm just saying it's not. There's nothing the wrong with. I don't mean
2: a throne <laughs> oh, in that yeah, way. I know, I know. But you know, I was just never I said mind. the same thing, and I ended up running for well, office. So and, don't, don't. You'll see, Donna. No.
1: <laughs> No, we need you here. Right. And I I think that there's a a role that you play that you occupy very well. And I appreciate you for the role work that you've done for our organization, for our community, because our center at ECN was one of the service centers prior to the pandemic. She still has office space there, but because of the pandemic, they can't really occupy it like Mm -hmm. they did. Um, So we were really blessed to have a congresswoman who cared. And I'm just really hopeful that in this next round of candidates, we can find somebody with an equal level of passion for the
2: community. Well, I'm expecting these young people to push them. I know, right?
1: Oh, yes, exactly. And we will be having a candidate forum for the 13th district, where we are doing some um, some some interviews. Um, so that that kind of wraps it up for today. And um, so now we are on to. Um, if you have a topic that you want to discuss, you can once again hit us up on our socials. Um, And um, so any shout outs Um, we end the show by shouting people out and recognizing um, good things. And so I do have one shout out Mm -hmm. and I've been talking about it. I want to shout out Don Ison. I want Mm -hmm. to shout her out. I believe that we will have a fighter in the U.S. attorney's office who will look at more than just prosecuting, um, you know, criminals in our community. But also um, she's elevated the Department of Civil Rights. And so it is now public corruption and civil rights. And so I think that civil rights enforcement, enforcement of, um, you know, police conduct expectations and um, somebody who is trying to balance that role is really important to our community. Any other shout outs?
0: Well, I don't have a shout out. I just want to say it was an honor and very thankful for meeting you. And hopefully we can do this again.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really want to shout out my brother, since he's the main reason I'm here today. He's my number one supporter, since I really have, like, not try to get all sad or savvy, since I really have with my parents. But, yeah, he's my number one supporter, and I really
3: appreciate him. I want to shout my grandma out, and I want to shout you out mm-hmm. for being here with us today, and I want to shout Donna out for bringing us here today. All
2: right, thank you. I mean, for me, I want to shout out the Beneteau residents. You know, a lot of people don't realize those residents are the ones beating the drum and pushing back on the city administration, Stellantis. I don't know. They give me credibility when I say that it needs to stop. People don't believe it when it comes from elected official, But, boy, when the residents speak up, it's powerful. And I just thank them for their courage because I know it's not been easy.
1: All right. Well, um, thank you so much for listening. Catch the wave.